Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. The concept of concentrated benefits and dispersed costs has frequently been invoked to explain how special interests are so often awarded with lucrative privileges while taxpayers foot the enormous bill. In a recent blog post on Cato at Liberty, managing editor of Regulation magazine Tom Fiery attempted a thought experiment to resolve the issue of runaway pork spending. He discusses his thought experiment in today's podcast. Concentrated benefits and dispersed costs. What's this all about? The discussion I give in the blog post is something that all good libertarians, all good fans of limited government know, which is that government programs typically give a benefit to a small, defined group of people. And that money that they give to them then comes from a large group of people, taxpayers, who all together may only pay a dollar or two toward that benefit that's worth several million dollars to the special interest that gets it. So this creates kind of a perverse dynamic. The special interest has all sorts of reasons to want this benefit and to lobby for it and pester politicians for it and give campaign contributions to politicians for it. Whereas for the taxpayer, the individual taxpayer, it's a loss of maybe a nickel, a dime, a quarter, a dollar. It's hard to get too upset about that loss, even though they do pile up. But it's hard to go fight each individual program when each individual program is only a loss of pocket money. Why can't taxpayers organize to counter the special interests? Well, again, it's this whole idea that it's, in a sense, not worth it. An example I talk about in the blog post is actually taken from Steve Slavinsky's book, Buck Wild, where he talks about the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts. And the NEA hands out around $40, $45 million a year in grants to various artists and averages out to about $24,000, $25,000 per grant per artist. On the other hand, for taxpayers, there's about 100 million U.S. taxpayers, all told. It comes out to about 50, 60 cents a taxpayer that goes into the funding for NEA's grants. So if you're an artist, you have 24,000 reasons to go to D.C. and demand that we keep the NEA around, that we raise its budget, that we not worry about the costs of the program. If you're a taxpayer, you only have 50 or 60 cents worth of reason to come to D.C. and argue against the NEA. Again, it's this whole idea of concentrated benefits disperse costs. It's stacked against the taxpayer. It's stacked in favor of the special interest that wants the money. Is it possible to overcome this kind of dynamic? It's hard, and that's actually what the thought experiment I'm playing with in the blog post is about, and that's why I'm encouraging people to go visit the blog and read it and try to come up with their own ideas on whether this would work or maybe not work. I say, let's set up a dynamic where each individual politician gets to make a choice. For my congressional district, do I hand out this money, this pork money, whether it's for the NEA or for a bridge to nowhere or whatever, do I hand that out? Or can I say, instead of funding my district's share of that cost, can I take that money and instead give it straight back to my constituents? And in doing this, I'm trying to set up an alternative incentive. Right now, all the incentives are there to give the money to the special interests. But I'm trying to balance that now with a second incentive, which is give the money to the taxpayer. Now, people might say, well, they could do that now by simply not funding these things and lowering taxes. But that never seems to happen. If we cut the NEA's budget, we suddenly don't get a 50 or 60 cent decrease in our taxes. That money then seems to get routed somewhere else. This is an opportunity to somehow explicitly, at least in this thought experiment, explicitly reroute the money back to the taxpayer. Does the effort expended on lobbying ever fall short of the grants received from government? 
Oh, sure. There are definitely instances where various communities or special interests or whoever choose not to pursue a grant. And that's because they think the odds of them getting the grant are so small, or the grant itself is so small, that they say, well, it's not worth expending our time, our money, our resources. So that's probably a good thing. But overall, if you're a community, say I'm a government agency in a county, say I'm the county health department, and there's a $50 million grant out there to do Project X, and I have a one chance in 100 chance of getting that grant. I would want to spend, let's see if I did the math right, up to $500,000 to pursue that grant, which means it is in my financial best interest to spend as much as $499,999 to try to go after a $50 million grant. And so that's why they keep doing it. It pays off, even if they only get one in 10 grants, even if they only get one in 100 grants. What prompted you to try to write about this thought experiment and conduct it? Well, a few different things really have. It's been bouncing around in my mind for a little while. And here in in Cato and and across the limited government philosophy, the limited government group, there's a lot of talk about what do you do in this situation where there's dispersed costs, concentrated benefits, how do we tame this beast? But a couple things have kind of happened recently that have gotten it back percolating in my mind. One is Steve Savlinsky's book, Buck Wild, where it really is either on the surface or just under the surface, a continuing discussion of this process and how it plays out. Plus, Mike Munger at Duke, he's head of the political science department at Duke, had an essay on EconLib talking about this very same dynamic. So it seems to be bubbling around in the movement right now. This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.